had already passed beyond the need for an introduction. That's, that's wild. Well, well, good morning. Uh, let me say my normal caveat before we begin, and then we'll pray. And my normal caveat is this. Uh, some of you don't know me. Most of you don't know me. I've only been coming here for about a year and a half, so even being asked to speak is somewhat surreal. Uh, being asked to speak for a second time with Pastor Merlin in the room is surreal and somewhat intimidating. So I would just say this. Don't listen to me just because I'm up here behind this piece of wood. I really mean what I'm about to say. Scrutinize the new guy. I do not have 10 years of history with you. You didn't watch me grow up. If you're thinking, why in the world should I listen to this guy just because he put on a button down instead of his black t-shirt? You are correct. Take that, run with it, and uh, my notes are available upon request. Go into the Word if you have any questions or anything in a room this size. There is no reason uh, that I can't make myself available to you personally. So if I say something and you think, what did you mean by that? Are you sure that's the way you meant it? What was your connotation here? Honestly, I think that it's part of my responsibility as the speaker to field those questions. So feel free, and I pray that it's the Holy Spirit who speaks this morning and not just me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, I pray that you would be present this morning. I pray that your word would go forth. I pray that there would be no obstacles in the way of you encountering our hearts in the way you intend to this morning. Let me speak truly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, my wife is uh, the real Christian in the family, apparently, because she made it to every night of revival and I made it to zero because I am a big baby and I wanted sleep before I ran around on a scaffold at work. So judge me if you want, but I didn't want to be tired and try to do my job. So I stayed home with the kids and went to bed. I can see Greg Martin making fun of me right now. And my wife was the real man and, and came to church. So I hear it was amazing. I have not yet listened to the, the messages, but when Pastor Merlin asked me to speak last week, this was the message that was on my heart and it sure does seem to line up. This morning, I'm going to talk about the goal of the Christian life. What is our destination? And I'll just give you the roadmap right now. We're going to talk about the goal. We're going to ask a question that's important. Why in the world would anyone sign up for this goal and this destination? I don't want to skip past that. Then we're going to ask, how was that goal accomplished? And to finish it, I'm going to give you what I really believe is the cheat code for the Christian life, the fail-safe. If you want to make sure that you are good from moment of salvation until the day you stand before him for judgment, I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it. And if you think that's selling it a little too strongly, I don't think it is, but you let me know if I hit that mark at the end. But let's start with the goal. Did you know that the Christian life is not static? Nothing in the world is static. Everything changes. Riverbanks change. The stars move. Nothing is the way it is without change forever. And the Christian life is exactly the same. You are intended to go somewhere. There's a destination. God saved you with an intention. And that intention is quite simply this. To make you like Jesus. You might say, okay, we know that. But here's what I think happens when you grow up in church and you hear become Christ-like, become Christ-like, become Christ-like. In your brain, something happens and you think become Christ-ish. Isn't that what it means to be like something? It's similar. Yeah, we need to be God-ish, Christ-ish. And I'm saying the biblical call is to take on the total character of Christ, 
not ish, but to be conformed to his image. And that's in Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Conformed, squeezed into the mold of the character of Christ. Interesting note, the call for the church, the destination for the church corporately, the goal, is the same as the goal for the individual, which is very cool. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, most likely Paul writes this. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some of as, as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until there's an end. We're building up the body of Christ until what? Until we all attain, plural, the church, all of us, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, singular. We are all growing up together corporately as the church until we attain the character that belongs to the fullness of Christ. Taking on the total character of Christ is the goal, the destination of the Christian life. Now, obviously, image and stature here are being used figuratively to mean character. I hope I don't have to explain this because Jesus was probably about yay tall, very dark skin, big beard, dark eyes, and that might seem cool to you, but my wife would disagree. So we're all supposed to go into the image of God. So this this better mean character. I'm, I'm going to be a pretty unhappy husband, I have to say. All right, that was a joke, by the way. I want to have a caveat here before I go any farther. I remember when I was younger and I'd hear messages about being conformed to the image of Christ and maturing into the like, likeness of Jesus. And somewhere in the back of my mind, I thought, is this guy just trying to force me into a mold and make me a clone, right? I had no desire to be some sort of churchy clone person who had just surrendered all of my identity to the collective and everything that's unique about me just drains out of my shoes for Jesus. And I'm gonna tell you that that's not what God wants. God wants you to be a unique saint. And you might say, but hold on, we just went to revival. It's all about God being everything and I'm nothing. Yes. And C.S. Lewis will now explain how it is that that works. May I read an extended quote for just a moment? This is from Mere Christianity. Until you've given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. Sameness is to be found most among natural men, but how gloriously different are the saints. But there must be a real giving up of the self. You must throw it away blindly, so to speak. Christ will indeed give you a real personality, but you must not go to him for the sake of that. As long as your own personality is what you're bothering about, you are not going to him at all. The very first step is to try to forget about the self altogether. Your real new self will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking at him. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. 
and with him, everything else thrown in. The goal is to become like Jesus. Yes, as a byproduct of that, you become the you you were intended to be all along, but you only get that when you stop caring about being so desperately you and you start wanting to be like Christ. Not in part, but the whole thing. Now we have to ask a question. Why in the world would anyone sign up for that goal? Now, if you're redeemed and you're sitting in here this morning, hopefully that's everyone, maybe not, but hopefully, you might say, what a silly question, Anthony. You're never speaking here again. Why are you even asking why we'd wanna be like Jesus? He's amazing, he died for us, and you'll, you'll have all the right answers. But I don't wanna skip past this too quickly because Paul tells us the reaction he got when he went to places and he told them about who Jesus was, how he lived, and how he died. There was one word that people seem to think about this Jesus, and that word is foolish. Foolish. 1 Corinthians 1.18 to 1 Corinthians 1.25 uses the word foolish no less than four times. Paul says the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Well, that's great for us. But don't skip past the part where to them, it's the silliest thing they've ever heard. How about this? God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Or again, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles, foolishness. Why? Verse 25. Because the foolishness, and I think if Paul was alive today, he'd give it the air quotes, You know, I can just picture him doing that because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. But it still seems like foolishness. And when you have people who aren't saved out in the world and they say they admire Jesus or yes, I respect Jesus, I believe Jesus, they don't mean the whole Jesus. They mean they've chosen an aspect of the Jesus that they have in their brain to emulate that they already liked in the first place and approve of. They've taken a chunk, and it might not even be an accurate chunk, and they're like, yeah, this is who Jesus was. Here's the problem. We do the same thing. All of us like aspects of Jesus, but we're not called to be conformed to the image of certain aspects of Jesus. We're called to be conformed into the entire image of the Son of God. Don't we do this? Like, you ask someone, do you want to be like Jesus? Of course I do, because I care about politics and I'm an activist. And don't you know Jesus? I've had this conversation. Jesus was a revolutionary. I just want to walk away, find the nearest wall, and just bang my head. I'm like, what do you even mean Jesus was? Is that partially true? Of course, Jesus had revolutionary ideas. And if you tell people that, yeah, absolutely. You know, Jesus, he went to the highest authority locally of the largest empire in the entire world. And he looked him right in the eye and he said, you don't even have any authority. And they'd say, yes, that's the Jesus I want to be like. But then you say, and then he let himself be crucified, naked. I'm not sure. Can we just have the first half? Can we? No. Christians do this too. Do you want to be like Jesus? Of course I do. Jesus went all over the place and he did miracles. Yes, he did. I mean, the blind saw, the lame got up and walked. But what about the part where he went to Nazareth and he didn't do any miracles? What about all the times where they asked for signs 
And he denied it. It's like, well, let's skip that. Can we just have the miracles? No, I really like Jesus. God is love, you know. Jesus just went everywhere and preached love. It's like, okay, yes, we like the children on the knee and we like the worry not little children and all that stuff. But what about the pithy rebukes, you know? What about the times that he was just not taking any nonsense? Well, I don't really want that. I just want the love. Here's the point. All of us will be tempted to want to be conformed into our favorite pre-approved aspects of the Son of God. It is 100% natural, and it will sneak up on you. Ask me how I know. It sneaks up on me all the time. And right when you think you're really grooving and you're becoming like Jesus, he says, we're gonna mature into this aspect of my character over here. And it's like the train is throwing sparks on the rails and you have to turn around. It's tough sometimes. But the call is to mature into the totality of Jesus. Why would anyone do that? Jesus has to be encountered and seen from a certain angle to be appreciated. I believe this. There are scholars who read and write about Jesus for a living who are no more saved than the devil himself. They haven't seen him from the right vantage point. They haven't met him at the right spot. And this is not news to anyone in here who's a believer. You have to encounter the risen Lord and see him from the angle at the foot of the cross. If you do not encounter the risen Lord and stand there with him at the foot of the cross, you will not have the correct vantage point to appreciate who Jesus was or to want to mature into the totality of his character. This has to be the beginning point. Somebody say the beginning. This is where we start. We're talking about the goal today, but first we have to talk about where we start walking. The Pilgrim's Progress was mentioned today. I love it. Has everybody read The Pilgrim's Progress? Oh, it is absolutely savage. That guy, I cannot wait to talk to him. Buy it, read it, it's amazing. He has these people who get on the Christian path, the way, but they jump the fence. Instead of starting at the beginning at the cross, they put on their best clothes. They look like they're doing it. You know the story, right, Joe? Come on, man. It's, uh, I think it's, Oh, formalist and hypocrisy. They jump the fence and they just, they, they won't go back. They're like, yeah, we, we just, we, we're generationally, we don't start at the cross. Uh-oh. Generationally, this is just how we do it. We, we don't go all the way back there. That's a really long walk. We start here and then we make it to the celestial city just like you do. Pilgrim can't talk them out of it, man. But what happens to people who don't start at the beginning when they make it all the way to the celestial city this is a scary thing. They discover that there's a door to hell at the gate of paradise. You don't get in. You have to start at the beginning. I'm going to read the lyrics to a song. It's really a poem. Uh, I was at the gym. I was working out. I like picking up heavy things and then setting them back down for no reason. That seems ridiculous to you. I can't explain it myself. I just really enjoy it. But there I am lifting up heavy things and setting them down. I'm sweaty, you know, it's, it's the middle of the day. I'm listening to loud music. I know music is contentious, but I like pretty energetic music. And all of a sudden this song comes on and I'm gonna read the lyrics and I am thunderstruck. I'm right there by the bench and I'm fighting back tears because this song took me back to the beginning. And suddenly I'm not about to do my next set. 
I'm at the foot of the cross with the risen Lord and I'm remembering. I might cry right now. That's ridiculous. It happens. I'm going to read these lyrics because this song says it better than I can. This is the end of a life that's been poured out for all mankind. In suffering, manifest glory has come at the fullness of time. The king of kings, beaten and broken down, why would he live like a servant? The king of kings, descending lower now, why should he die like a slave? It should have been me with the nails through my hands and feet facing the wrath of God. It should have been me left to pay for my sin, forsaken. But in the blood, I stand here. Born to die, he bore the fire of God's holy wrath on his shoulders. Born to die, I watched him pour out his life as a ransom for all. And as he carried his cross on his back, beaten and bloody, I saw myself there too. No one could take his life. He laid it down for me. That twisted wreath of thorns, he took that crown for me. And then after three days, out of the ground, he overcame it all for me. Here's the destination. Now I live to serve him. It seemed disgustingly inappropriate to do a set of some exercise so long as these lyrics were being spoken. So powerfully did it take me right back to the cross. And I want to say this this morning. We're a little over halfway. I'm not going to go two hours like last time. There's a danger in an amazingly healthy generational church like this one. I'm so happy to be in a church where there are kids and parents and grandparents that have just generationally served the Lord. But there's a danger that everything can look good. You can have it together. Your mindset has been changed. Your belief structure has been formulated. The way you dress has been crafted. You have the worldview. You look like you fit in, but you never started at the beginning. You must begin at the cross. So we're gonna stop right now and we're gonna pray. Let's just have every eye closed and every head bowed and I'm gonna pray and if you need to make a proper start at the beginning, if you have the humility to say, wow, I should have done this before but I'm gonna do it now, you can just agree with me. Father God, I come before you this morning and I am, God, I am embarrassed. I'm embarrassed and I'm a little ashamed that I didn't do this 5, 10, 15, 40 years ago but Lord, I need to begin properly, God. Lord Jesus, meet me at the cross. Forgive me, God, not only for all the wrong things that I've done, but forgive me for putting this off. No more. Father, I, I trust you. I trust you. Make me your son or daughter. I surrender to you today, and I want to begin. Have my life. Forgive me and save me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that this morning, I want to encourage you. Find your favorite leader and tell them. And don't be embarrassed about it in 10 minutes. Be happy about it. Because there's a lot of other people who look like they started and they didn't. And they might need to talk to you next. Amen? Amen. Let's move on. What's the goal? The goal is to be conformed to the total character of Christ, not just our favorite parts. Why would anyone sign up for that? Because you met the risen Lord at the cross and he is your hero. He's your hero. He's not just somebody who used to exist. He saved you. 
Of course you want to be like him. When that song took me back at the gym, and hopefully right now, you see the cross next to the risen Lord, and you're like, for me, it's amazing. I mean, it just, it just positions you so perfectly to move forward. That's why you want to be like Jesus, because you see him for who he is. So how, how is that goal accomplished? Well, I know one of the messages of revival was that God is going to do it. You're nothing. He's everything. And that's exactly true. I'm also going to talk about the role you play because you play a role in this. And then we're going to talk about how God still gets all the glory because he's crafty that way. And that's the way it works. But first of all, how do we make it to the goal? Guys, God crafts us. God created us in his image. And then in Genesis 2, chapter seven, verse 7, you see that God reaches down and it says he formed man out of the dust of the earth. That's a neat little verb there. And I never took Hebrew in school, I have to confess. Don't let me convince you I'm smarter than I am. I just know how to read people who have studied it. That word is very often translated for he formed as just plain potter. Because it means to be squeezed into shape. So you have in Genesis 2, God reaching down and squeezing man into the image that he has in mind. He never resigned to the position. In Romans 9, we read this. Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? This is 9, 20, and 21. The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay, same idea, to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and one for common use. I know Calvinism versus Arminianism is very commonly argued for Romans 9. That is not my point at all. We can have a fun discussion about that later if you want. My point is this. He started pottering to butcher the language, the original people, and he continues to mold and form and work as a potter for each individual person. God is going to craft you into his image. Who else could craft you into the image of God? Nobody. God is the only master craftsman. Hear me now. God is the only craftsman of your life who has authority to mold you. He's the only one with the authority to mold you. Enter into our role. We can have a positive effect on this process or we can have a very negative effect on this process. Remember the destination and the goal of the Christian life is in Romans 8, 29. Those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Sounds like God does everything and he is the master craftsman. But Paul clarifies our responsibility in the process just a few chapters later. Same author, same book. He didn't forget what he just said. Romans 12, one and two, we read this. I urge you, brethren, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And here's our part. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed is a command. That verb is in the imperative, which means it's imperative. Be transformed is the same thing. That's a command to me and to you. You have a don't do and you have a must do right here. Who's forming you? 
Who's the craftsman? God. You can be a coworker or a saboteur. And those are the options. The way to sabotage this process is to allow other craftsmen to craft you who have no right to do that. And that is being squeezed into the mold conformed of the world. Well, what's the world? Are we talking about grass? Are we talking about the Grand Canyon? No. The word here can also be translated this age, this time in which we live, this culture, this milieu, if you want to be fancy. And you know what? It's the same in America as it is in Japan, as it is in Thailand, as it is in Brazil. It doesn't matter what place you're in in this age. There is something about the culture in which you live that is going to pull you away from the image of Jesus. If you're just drifting along in a culture, and I don't care what country you're in, you are going to move farther from the image you're supposed to be conformed into, and you're going to be conformed passively, but destructively, into the image of the world. Any amens at this point? Any brave souls? Okay, good. So how would that happen? How could we wreck the process? (sighs) Requesting permission to drill down here for a little bit. Permission granted? Okay. I'm a firm believer that if you preach the truth, the Holy Spirit will draw the application from the people, okay? So in a way, I am loath to do this kind of thing, but I'm gonna do it because I feel like it's appropriate. So if this offends you, please forgive me, but here we go. We have never before in human history had culture and this age have so many hooks in us. We have never been so susceptible and often willing victims of the formation of the world. It is everywhere. And if we thought it was bad with TV, man, did it get worse with computers. Enter the smartphone. I still have one for the time being. I'm not talking down to you people. You know, I don't want to be like you sinners with smartphones, although its days may be numbered. That is just ridiculous. The ability for the world to influence you, the ability for other craftsmen to usurp God's job is ridiculous. It's time to be ruthless custodians of our mind. It is absolutely mandatory. Here are some examples. Okay, if you have, and I'll just read some of the influences. Anybody ever watch the news? Of course we do, we all do. We've been doing that for forever. Uh, Political commentary, anybody? I do, of course, lots of people do. How about podcasts? All types of podcasts. How about YouTube videos? All types of YouTube videos. Movies, TV shows, reading books, listening to books, social media of all types, video games, watching other people play video games on streaming devices, listening to music. Are all of those things evil? Not in themselves. But is every single one of them a potential sabotaging craftsmen in your life. Yes, my goodness, we cannot, Lord help us, let them have effects on us that they have no right to have. You know, Jordan Peterson, I'm gonna name some names. I've learned a lot from Jordan Peterson. I have. He also says some really goofy stuff, specifically about the faith. I've learned a lot from Andrew Huberman in the Huberman Lab podcast. Does that mean that either one of those gentlemen should take God's seat as the potter and begin crafting my life? Absolutely not. They are allowed in my life as a tool for the craftsman or not at all. And this has to be how we relate to entertainment. If it is a fitting tool for the craftsman, it's welcome. 
If it's not even a fitting tool, you already know what to do. If there are influences, music, political commentators, it doesn't matter. And its effect on you is only to move you away from the destination of the character of Christ, throw it away. Throw it away. It has to be removed. And the Holy Spirit will lead you into into that knowledge more and more. Uh, Another thing I want to say, I'm not going to name names here, although I could. I'll tell you, I've had to make some hard decisions with the people I listen to. I like politics, you know. I have strong political opinions that I will freely discuss with you, and I think there are good and bad opinions politically. But I have stopped listening to commentators that I agree with almost 100%. I could flip on these people, I could listen to their podcast, and every word that comes out of their mouth, I would say, yes, exactly, yes, 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 even on matters of faith. And yet, I don't listen to them anymore because I don't want to catch their nasty, snarky, needlessly combative, overly sarcastic, terrible attitudes. Because when I listen to these people I agree with, I start silently to process the world the way they process it. That is not helping me become conformed to the image of Christ. So it's not even a question of whether you agree or disagree. It's a question of more like Jesus or less like Jesus. And it takes sometimes a sacrifice to cut some of these things off. Music, you know, I love all kinds of music, but each song has to be judged individually. And sometimes the Holy Spirit has told me, hey, for the next couple months, you're not listening to this genre or this genre. You are only listening to this because we're going to reset your psyche a little bit. We're going to calm you down. And I have learned over the years to just say, yes. Okay, I'm going to, I'll say this. this well, nah, should I? Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to start a little fight. Merlin can take those emails. Uh, here we go. There are some people in this room I know that I respect very much who will say that drinking alcohol is a sin, period. Any alcohol, full stop. I am not one of those people. However, guess who's not currently drinking alcohol and it's a surprise even to him? This guy. Guess who might never drink again? This guy. Why? That tool Andrew Huberman that the craftsman used. He had this episode about what the stuff does to your body and I like lifting up heavy things and putting it down and I'm like, this is not helping me at all. And then I felt the craftsman talking. Uh Uh-oh. Like, hey, if it's not helping you, what do you think you should do? Well, I think we should ditch it. I've still got some whiskey that I really like at my house and it might go down the drain. And guess who's not even sad about it a little bit? Me! Because it's been weeks and weeks and I feel amazing. Just listen to the craftsman. Professional and social media people are called influencers. Sick. Sick. Don't give them the ability to do what they have no right to do. Amen? Stronger amen? All right, thank you very much. All right, so that's how we can sabotage it. How do we cooperate? And we're wrapping up here. This is how we cooperate. Romans 8, 12 to 14 tells us how we can co-work with God instead of sabotaging the process. He says, so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Pause here. Paul is speaking about flesh in a moral sense. He's not the fancy word that we taught, we're learned and we were learned, we done learned this fancy word in seminary called ontological, a thing as it is in itself. He's not talking about flesh like your skin and your muscles. He's talking about the moral sense in the word flesh. 
all of that nasty stuff inside you that is sinful and fallen and contrary to the will of God. We are not under obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Don't let it sneak by. He just told us how we co-work with God. We're led by the Spirit of God in real time to put to death the sinful works of our flesh. Fantastic. This is how it works, moment to moment. When you feel the craftsman saying, we're gonna add this or we're gonna take this away or we're gonna polish here, we're gonna hit you with the chisel here, you say yes. That's how it works. We co-work with Christ by letting the craftsman do what the craftsman wants to do. And he promises here that he's going to lead us. You don't have to guess. And actually, he makes it even more encouraging in the book of Philippians. This, this is one of the coolest passages, I think, in the entire Bible. Here we go. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. You guys ready for something really awesome? This will take the pressure off, actually. This is, this is going to be like a spiritual deep breath. So then, my beloved, Paul writes, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Stop. Question. Who's obeying? I am. Who's working out their salvation with fear and trembling? Me. I'm doing it. Paul says so. Aren't I great? How about some glory, God? Do you want to share? Can I get some credit? No. Here's the trick. Next verse. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That word to will is the Greek word for to, for to desire, to wish. And the word for work isn't just I go do a job. It's energeo. It's, it's most often used for like divine activity. It's a divine energetic enablement. This is Paul saying, I need you to obey because you're working out your salvation. But by the way, the desire to do those things is coming from God. And so is the enablement to do those things. But if you're okay with that, I mean, if we're humble enough to say, I, however you want to take me to the goal, God, just bring me along, let's get there, then you can relax a little bit. And you can realize that the craftsman is going to lead you by giving you desires in line with his will and then giving you the enablement to do what he put the desire in you to do. That's awesome. You don't have to guess. And it's supposed to get easier the longer you spend time with the Lord. You know, sometimes when you just begin the faith, it's sweet and it's awesome, but you just don't know a whole lot. You don't have a lot of experience being led by the Spirit. But hopefully by the time you're 30 or 40 years in, you know, there's a sweet relaxation and there might still be some sacrifice and there's still gonna be hard times, that's promised. But the voice of the Savior becomes more familiar. And hopefully, we're gonna talk about the cheat code, the fail safe in a minute. Hopefully your heart is still in the right spot to listen. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm gonna end with this. First, a recap. Christian life isn't static. We have a destination. And that destination is the full character of Christ. Not part of it, not the part we like, but we're being molded by the craftsman into the full character of Jesus Christ. Why would we do that? Because he's our hero. Because we've met the risen Lord at the foot of the cross. And why wouldn't we do that? 
How does it happen? He crafts us. And while we work along with him, he's giving us the desire to be crafted and he's giving us the ability to do what he puts the desire in our heart to do. Sounds great, but I wanna end with, with this amazing, I don't know what to call it. Cheat code is the best I can come up with. I know that's kind of my generation. Uh, fail safe is another good word. You wanna make sure you stay on track. Who doesn't? You don't wanna start only to derail later. I'm gonna tell you, how to see the Christian life through until you stand before God at judgment and have it go well. Here it is. There's a certain type of person that God promises to give help to. There's a certain disposition that you can have that God says, this person, I'm going to give grace. Grace is more than just a fancy word. Grace is like real help and strengthening and provision from the Lord. Who wants to be that type of person? I would like to be that type of person. Here we go. 1 Peter 5, 5 to 6. Young men, likewise, be subject to your elders and all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Seems like that word's coming up. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time. Does it seem too simple? Does it seem too simple? Just to say humility is the fail-safe. Humility is the cheat code. I can tell you it's, there's a difference between simple and easy. I can give you simple directions. Go outside and lift up your car. That's not easy, right? But the Holy Spirit will enable us to remain humble. And I'm gonna tell you how to do that right now. If you wanna make progress in the Christian life, keep your heart at the beginning. If you wanna move forward, keep your heart at the beginning. I was so thunderstruck by that song. I was at the gym. I was pumped up with caffeine. But when my heart was suddenly transported right back to the foot of the cross and I remembered what it was like to meet my savior when I desperately needed him, when I thought the least of myself, when I was lost in sin and just the horror of realizing what happened to Jesus and then the wonder of realizing they did it for me and then the horror of realizing it was all my fault and then the wonder of realizing I was redeemed. Oh my gosh, how can that not result in humility? It will. Stay at the foot of the cross and no matter how far you go in the Christian life, if your heart stays at the beginning, you will eventually attain the goal. The Lord has predestined it to be so and the craftsman knows what he's doing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Merlin, could you come up and close, please? Actually, that doesn't make any sense because I've got the microphone, unless you'd want to. Please. I invite you to stand. We're going to do final prayer, and we're going to pray together. Uh, thanks, Anthony, for your openness to having us come talk to you, and I uh, would encourage the same thing if you have questions. And uh, thanks for allowing the Lord to speak through you, Anthony. I think some similar themes to what we did talk about at revival meetings were present, so I appreciate that. Let's pray together. And when we pray, I invite you to make sure that you're doing business with the Father. Lord, we are so grateful when you meet us at our times of worship. Even in, even in that very practical way, the verse that... Anthony shared with us not too long ago here, Father, is so applicable. It is our desire 
It is our hope, it is our aim that when we come gather together to worship, that's that we want to because you have placed that desire inside of us. You have, you have given us the desire to be with your people and to worship you. But then it's you that's actually planted it, and it's you that actually makes it possible. And when we come together to do exactly that, it's you and your presence here that, uh, that, that accomplishes anything at all. It makes anything at all being able to be accomplished. So, Father, we, we sit here, we stand here now in your presence, and we would simply say what Anthony began off with this today is that you would have your way in us. You gave us some things to chew on, Father, some verses that are reminders for us and some applications of those verses which uh, we want to receive from you and allow you to lay our hearts and our minds to the test. For if your word and your Holy Spirit don't have the ability to affect us and change us, then how can we call us yours? In the same way, God, we would ask, I would ask, as I do for myself, and I would say it now on behalf of, of Anthony, I know he said the same words, God, if there's... Uh, uh, things that came out that were not from you, then you help us in your grace to dismiss them and forget about them. If they're things that came from you, then we, uh, then you help us to not be able to dismiss them or forget about them. For we want you to have your way in us. You are the master potter, the craftsman. We give ourselves to you. Thank you for redeeming us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which enables us to walk forward in this path of becoming like him. Release us now the favor of that presence, the glory that you bestow upon us, not for us, not for our sake, but so that you might be glorified, that people might see our good deeds and glorify you, God, in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.